0: you know the older i get the more things i gotta leave behind that's life it's not the years it's the mileage
1: they just turn the music louder
0: no i think that you just got older
2: Hello looters, welcome to The Movie Loot, the podcast where we share the best, greatest, most entertaining and or weirdest film loot you could find. My name is Carlo and in this episode, the loot is mine. Now, uh, this is episode 68, the August loot, or how I like to call it, the birthday loot. Why? Because my birthday was in August, which now seems like an eternity ago. Uh, For those that listen to us and know me, well, you know that I live in Puerto Rico, and we were hit by Hurricane Fiona about a week ago. So that resulted in all of the island being left without power as well as lots of cities, towns and places with lots of damages, floods and whatnot. So we've kind of been dealing with that. I want to thank each and everyone from my Twitter friends and listeners that reached out to me during this past week. Can't name them all because they were a lot. Uh, Fortunately, everyone in my family is safe. So we just had to deal with the lack of power. But we know that's not the case with everyone. So our heart goes out to everyone that has been suffering real loss. We're positive that we're going to recover as an island. Once again, we always do. So uh, lot of love to all my fellow Puerto Rican listeners. Palante Puerto Rico. But anyway, the show must go on. And like I said, my birthday was in August. And what I like to do and what I've been doing since I started the podcast is that I start the month with my usual categories, but then I open the floor for friends to recommend me anything, which is something I tend to do. But for this month, I watch exclusively what my friends and listeners recommend me. Those recommendations are your gifts to me, so to speak. But before we start the party, let's talk a bit about past episodes. Our last regular episode, episode 67, was the Hitchcock Loot, since much like me, Hitchcock was also born in. August. So I treated myself to a great conversation about the master with writer Tony Lee Morale and what a treat it was. So much knowledge, such a gentleman. My friend Tim Dougherty said this was a great one. Of course, Hitch is endlessly chatable, so he did the heavy lifting. Haha, <laughs> but excellent job. And yeah, that, that's why I bring experts. Like I told Tim, I can let Tony take the wheel and he was great. My friend Sylvie at Sly underscore Wit said, Somehow I missed this drop, finally listening, and absolutely loved that the purple dress from Topaz got a shout out. I've been looking for a GIF of that one for years. I need to check out Topaz, but Tony Lee's enthusiasm for a couple of these quote-unquote lesser Hitchcocks like Topaz, I confess, Under Capricorn, made me want to check them out more. And that's the purpose of the episode, to pique everybody's interest, including mine, and push us all to go further into whatever it is we're discussing. And speaking of going further, after that episode, I decided to dedicate special episode 13 to one specific scene from Psycho. I talk about the conversation between Marion and Norman, and it was a lot of fun to dive into that scene. My friend Stu from Stu World Order said, Always great stuff, Carlo. So thanks to Stu for the love. But let's get down to it. Like I said, I started the month with some guidelines of what to watch. And let all of you bring the loot to me. And as usual, you all deliver with 10 excellent gifts or recommendations. I usually cover the films from best to worst. But this time I'm going to go in the order that I watch them. So let's go.
1: A film from the They Shoot Pictures, Don't They 1000 Greatest Films list, whose ranking includes the number 8.
2: So for this category, I got something from my friend Scotty. And it's All That Heaven Allows, from 1955. Directed by Douglas Sirk, the film is number 378 on that list of greatest films. It follows Carrie, played by Jane Wyman, a mature widow with two adult children that ends up falling in love with Ron, played by Rock Hudson, a young gardener that works at her home. But, obviously, gossip around the neighborhood and disappointment from her children lead Carrie to have second thoughts about her relationship. Scotty said, before I saw All That Heaven Allows, I had seen the Fastbender film Ali Fear Eats the Soul, great movie that one, and when I was looking up trivia on it, I saw that the film had been inspired by Cirque's film. What interested me was that the relationships in both films, set in the 50s and 70s, while not forbidden, were both met with hostility and disapproval. In this film, because of the age difference, in the case of Ali Fear Eats the Soul, because of age and race. It's fascinating to see how back then in some circles of society, these relationships for some were taboo. Both films, in my opinion, are great pieces of work, and I recommended this one to you because of that reason. And I agree, that aspect of how Carrie's relationship is met with such hostility, like Scotty said, even from her children, was something quite powerful. But the interesting thing is that Cirque splits the film into halves, with the first half mostly focused on how this relationship grows and carried by solid performances and good chemistry from Wyman and Hudson. However, towards the middle, there is a shift to a more serious territory as you see all this hostility and gossip develop and external forces taking a toll on Carrie and Ron's relationship. I have to say that the film was way better than I expected, even at the very last act and the very endings do stray a bit into sappiness and some bad execution, but regardless of that, all that heaven allows is still a great portrayal of a mature relationship between two adults and the obstacles they face to be together. So I want to thank Scotty for this, he's been supporting the show almost since we started, so thank you if you enjoyed this recommendation and you want to follow Scotty, he's at Pirate with a Y, Pirate Scotty. He loves pirates, but if you like peaches, well, that's the devil's fruit. Uh, Thank you, Scotty.
1: A film from India.
2: India celebrated its independence in August 15, so I wanted to check out something from there. And since we're talking about people who we've been interacting with since the podcast started, here I got something from my friend Darren Lucas. And it's U-Turn from 2016. This is a supernatural thriller from India that follows Rachana, played by Shraddha Srinath. I'm sure I'm massacring that name, but she's a young intern at an Indian newspaper that is investigating a series of incidents at an overpass. This involves motorists moving the concrete blocks that divide the road in order to make a quick U-turn and avoid traffic. Most that do so don't move the blocks back to their place, which in turn causes accidents. However, when one of the culprits that Rachana was about to interview ends up dead, she finds herself in the eye of local police and looking for answers herself. Darren said, you turn place into one of my personal favorite subgenres of horror, one that sees ghosts communicating with somebody trying to solve a mystery. The way the spirit is portrayed is so innocent with a reveal that leaves you shocked by the truth. It is such an interesting twist to create a horror event that we wouldn't see in Western culture. It is also fascinating to see how other countries have adapted to show their cultures with four versions made across the Asian market. And that's the thing, the film has been wildly popular in India, that they have made around five or six remakes in other languages of the country, but also on Philippines and Sri Lanka. One of the remakes was even done by the same director. But anyway, I hadn't even heard of the film before, but it's always so good to explore films from other countries and cultures, especially when they are well made. U-Turn is far from a perfect film, but it is competent and manages to establish a good sense of tension, dread and mystery all through its duration. Heck, there was a jump scare in particular that literally made me jump on my seat. Most of the performances are solid, with Srinath effectively transmitting the lead character's thirst for answers, but also her fears and insecurities. Roger Narayan is pretty good as Nayak, the police officer that tries to help her. Unfortunately, director and writer Pawan Kumar feels the need to throw some hints of an unnecessary love triangle between Rachana, Nayak, and a co-worker of her that she has a crush on. But those hints lead to nowhere, so... My biggest complaint is that, in the end, the film tries to answer and explain too much during its last act. The mystery is stretched for too long and there are too many red herrings thrown at you, with the film eventually succumbing to over-explaining things. I would have preferred a bit more ambiguity, but this is still a solid supernatural thriller. If you want to check U-Turn, it is currently streaming free on Netflix, along with one of the remakes, but the original is the one from 2016, which is the one I saw. Also, if you like this recommendation, make sure you check out Darren's website at MoviesReview101.com and follow him on Twitter at NewGuyReview101. He's one of those that has recommended something good for me all three years I've done this. So, great job, Darren.
1: A film with the number 8 in its title.
2: For this category, I got something from one of my new favorite Twitter friends, Andres from the Latin Jukebox. And he gave me... 8 Mile from 2002. This film is semi-autobiographical, as it follows B-Rabbit, played by Eminem, a blue-collar worker in Detroit, trying to make a name as a rapper. Having broken up with his girlfriend, he is forced to move back with his poor mom, played by Kim Basinger, at a trailer park where he ends up butting heads with her boyfriend, played by Michael Shannon, all while trying to maintain his musical aspirations alive. However, this clashes with his work at a car factory, while also creating tension between warring groups in the local rap scene. Even though rap is not my favorite musical genre, I'm a fan of Eminem, so I've had this film on my radar for a while. Not sure why I had never seen it, but I was happy when Andres recommended it. Let's hear what Andres had to say about it.
3: Hey, Carlo. Andres from The Lighting Jukebox here, saying that The Eight Mile is one of the greatest movies ever made from a musician perspective, because Eminem put his life there And he wanted to show the world how hard it is for a white man to grow and to be someone into a very, very um, complicated environment, especially for that point of time where other artists were like the main focus and most of them, not to say all of them, were black. So it's a great movie, it's a great representation, and I'm glad you enjoyed it. Happy birthday.
2: So yeah, I heard it was good, but I was still pleasantly surprised by it, especially by Eminem's performance. His character is, for the most part, very subdued and quiet, but still shows up a bottled up intensity which he lets out at certain points for better or worse. I thought it was interesting for an artist that is usually associated with lyrics of violence and anger to see a restraint in his performance, as well as his willingness to portray the weaknesses in his character. Rabbit is insecure, frustrated, and stuck in a dead-end job while also suffering numerous setbacks. He chokes in a rap battle, he's beat up, he's cheated on. Not only that, but the film refuses to give you that big moment of him rapping until the very end. I mean, he does have two or three scenes where he raps briefly with his friends, but his biggest moment is in the last act. And I thought that was a bold choice for a film featuring a rapper that was arguably at the peak of his career in this moment. My friend Ken at InterKen said, For people of a certain age, meaning me, 8 Mile is permanently associated with Lose Yourself. Even if the movie isn't a masterpiece, the song certainly is. And it's interesting to see them treated as vehicles for one another. It's something all Hollywood did all the time. And Ken is referring to the main theme, which is featured in the movie and ended up being Eminem's first number one single in the U.S. Great song, by the way, and a pretty good film recommendation from my friend Andres. If you want to check out 8 Mile, it is stream-free on Netflix. And if you like this recommendation from Andres, check out his podcast, The Latin Jukebox, where he talks all about music. As a matter of fact, his latest episode features a great guest, uh, yours truly, where we talk about a lot of Puerto Rican music that have a special meaning for me. So, check it out on any podcasting platform and follow him on Twitter at La Rocola del Rolo.
1: Any film that starts with the letters O or P.
2: For this category, I got something from Ian from Best Film Ever Podcast, and it is Parenthood from 1989. This film mostly follows Gil Buckman, played by Steve Martin, as he struggles to keep it together against the woes of parenthood, but so is his whole family as we also follow his siblings, Helen, played by Diane Whist, Susan, played by Harley Jane Kozak, and Larry, played by Tom Hulce, and their respective partners and children, all of which are going through different issues and situations. If you look at the poster of this film, you'll see a smiling Steve Martin holding two of his children by the legs, which gives a sense of this being a silly, slapsticky comedy of wacky shenanigans and crazy hijinks. That might be the reason why I wasn't that enthusiastic when Ian brought it up, but the truth is that the film is so much more than that. But let's hear what Ian had to say about it.
0: And it's a happy, 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 happy birthday from the podcast. That's what it says in the tin. Best film ever to Carlo, lo, 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 over at the Movie Loot. Happy birthday, brother. I think I'm supposed to come on here and talk about why I, in all my infinite wisdom, uh, acknowledge me and all that, uh, decided to uh, recommend Parenthood. Uh, to be honest with you, it was a bit of a flash in the past as far as the nostalgia brain went. I literally haven't seen this movie myself. I want to say 30 years, 20 years easily. I don't know. It's just snippets. It's moments it's Keanu Reeves going now we can record our love and it's the son of Steve Martin going hubba hubba and it's it's just a feeling of dysfunction and warmth and you really feel for Steve Martin at the center of all this madness going around him and I think it probably I say in a non-parental role myself it probably speaks to some sort of universal experience of parenthood just try to hold on and more often than not it's going to work out even if it goes wrong in ways that you can't even fathom or explain so that was my reason for picking parenthood it was a childhood memory it was a constant i think we had the vhs if not it was always on television or we taped it off the movie channel or something like that and it was just a constant presence in my Pre adolescent uh, viewing experience, I suppose. That was it for me. It was like, what piece, when, when, when the question was from the 80s or whatever, the, the category was that I jumped in with, what piece of childhood nostalgia could I maybe bring to the table that hadn't reached, that maybe people had forgotten on? Maybe it wasn't one of those seminal classics that culturally we hold up. So I thought, from my personal experience, here's what I could throw out there. And I'm, I, was, I was very glad to receive a message from Carlo that said, he does. What I had thrown out there because sometimes it's hard. You've seen a lot of stuff, dude. So I was great that A, I could find one you hadn't seen, and B, that you thought it was all right. So, with that in mind, you are more of an all right, my friend. Have the happiest of birthdays. Well done on everything you got going on. The pod continues to go from strength to strength. Come back on the BFE anytime, and happy, 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 happy birthday. <laughs>
2: Thanks so much, Ian, for the kind words and the lovely message. And yeah, your your pick was definitely more than good enough. I really love this film. I love how it walks a fine line between, yeah, being a silly comedy, but also being quite a powerful drama that tackles very serious adult issues. From divorce, economical worries, the false expectations we put on others, on our children, teenage sex, mental conditions, parental abandonment, regret, it is all there, along with the tedious and mundane daily routine of being a parent and a spouse, both of which I definitely could identify with both as a relatively new parent of two and as someone that just celebrated 16 years of marriage. Director Ron Howard expertly balances both the dramatic and the comedic without making it sway too much into either side. And all of the cast is excellent too. Even though Martin gets the poster and top billing, Whis gets as much meat as him in the role of Helen, a recently divorced and emotionally deprived mother of two teenagers that are both in different stages of sexual discovery. Her daughter has just a love with his boyfriend, perfectly played by Keanu Reeves, and her very teenage son, played by none other than Joaquin Phoenix, is just hitting puberty. And Whis does a great job of showing the neurotic and emotional sides of the character without making it feel cartoonish. But then you also have Mary Stimbergen, Rick Moranis, Jason Robards. It's a hell of a cast. As a matter of fact, Robards' subplot with Larry, I think that's the one that hit me hardest in terms of how serious and bleak it gets. So, again, this was definitely a pleasant surprise that is bound to end up on my Ron Howard Top 3. Smartly written, neatly acted ensemble piece that knows when and how to make you laugh or make you cry, whether it is with its silly jokes or with how close it hits to your home. So, thanks a lot to Ian. And if you want to check this out, it's streaming free on STARS. And if you enjoyed this recommendation, make sure you check out Ian and the gang on Best Film Ever, one of the best podcasts out there. They're at Best Film Ever Pod, but you can also find them on any podcasting platform
1: a film with any of the words rock paper scissors in its title
2: world rock paper scissors day was on august 27 and that's why i wanted a film with any of those words in the title and for this i got something from caroline from the defining disney podcast and it's Paperman from 2012 this is a Walt Disney short that lasts only 7 minutes, which I can appreciate. It is set in 1940's New York City and follows two characters, George and Meg, experiencing a sort of magical moment of love at first sight during a chance meeting at a train station. The catalyst for this encounter is a loose piece of paper that keeps flying out of their hands and ends up with Meg's lipstick mark on it, leaving George entranced and smitten by it. But let's hear what Caroline had to say about this.
4: I really wanted Carlo to watch Paperman for a couple of reasons, but I think it really boils down to it plays off of the same concept as Up, in that you have a love story being told in a very short amount of time with very few words or vocal sounds, except Paperman took it a step further and also went no color, except for these few drops of red throughout the film. I think that the character development in it is really strong, and it's only done through body language and blocking and facial expressions. I think that the animation is really strong. And I mean, it's it's Glenn Keen. It's hard to go wrong. And I knew that Carlo would enjoy the good animation. He would appreciate the character development. And it's also a short film and he doesn't cover those very often. I thought that, that would be an easy watch for him especially for an episode where he watches several films and I thought that would be a nice little treat for him.
2: Those are some great points that Caroline brings. I love how the characters are developed for such a short film. The animation is beautiful with a very cutesy and classy touch to both characters. And it's a very simple premise that you can still find yourself enraptured and invested, much like the characters. So thanks a lot to Caroline, who is one of those great friends that has given me recommendations all three years. If you're interested in checking out Paperman, it is obviously available on Disney. And if you appreciate the recommendation, make sure you follow Caroline at Define in disney and check out her podcast along with nicole where they tackle walt disney's animated film canon one of my favorite podcasts out there
1: a film from nicholas ray
2: nicholas ray was yet another one that was born in august he was born in august 7, so i wanted to check something from his filmography and for this one i got something from my friend brian clarkson and it's johnny guitar from 1954 this film follows Vienna, played by John Crawford, a tough saloon owner determined to make a stand against a posse that wants to ride her out of town. She is paired with a former gunslinger and ex-lover, the titular Johnny Guitar, played by Sterling Hayden, who has returned after years away from her. This is a film I had heard about quite often. I think we even brought it up on my Western Loot a couple of episodes ago, but I hadn't had the chance to check it out, so I was thrilled when Brian recommended it. Brian said, What drew my interest first in Johnny Guitar was the fact that the roles are reversed. Women play the primary roles of this Western. John Crawford is the saloon owner who faces the stiff challenge of a mob owner, played by Mercedes McCambridge, who plots to run her one-time rival out of town. The fact that the two leads had some serious issues with each other just added to the drama both on the screen and off. It's just as well that the woman takes center stage in the climax as the men, Johnny Guitar and Dancing Kid, sit around and watch. I also can appreciate that the film strays from the strict morality of the westerns of the 1950s when it was made. And I agree with Brian. The fact that Vienna is a woman instantly stacks the cards against her. She's held to different standards than men, and her possibilities to strive and succeed are suffocated and thrown aside. But Vienna is tough, and that toughness is perfectly portrayed by Crawford from the very first scene, which is a showcase of great performances from everybody. Tense direction from Ray, and a witty, clever script all at the same time. Local critic Mario Alegre wrote on his Letterboxd review, the film should be called Vienna. And I definitely agree, because this is Vienna story all the way. Sure, Johnny Guitar is a cooler title, I guess, but his character is, in a way, peripheral to Vienna. But I guess those male-driven double standards extend to the production and marketing of the film itself. Regardless, it was refreshing to see a female-centric western that dares to put some bite on its characters. If you want to check it out, Johnny Guitar is streaming free on Pluto TV, but it's a available for rent on most streaming platforms and if you enjoyed Brian's recommendation follow him at Brian Clarkson5 and at TicketsPlease6. He's a Twitch streamer and also has a YouTube film critic channel so you can also find him there as TicketsPlease.
1: A film from the 1980s.
2: For this category I got something from the people at X Radio X and it's... Cinema Paradiso from 1988. When I asked for recommendations, X Radio X quickly jumped at it. Their birthday is also August 10th, so happy birthday as well. And then said, you should watch Cinema Paradiso. It is amazing. It is one of my all-time favorite movies. The truth is that this is a rewatch. I think this was one of those first foreign films I saw when I was on my late teens and barely starting to get into films. As a matter of fact, my friend Brian said also, Cinema Paradiso was the film that first opened things up for me about foreign films being cool. That sequence towards the end, chef's So, much like the main character, I found myself amazed by the beauty of the story and the wonder of cinema back in the day. For those that haven't seen it, the film follows the friendship between Alfredo, played by Philippe Noiret, an aging projectionist at a small theater in Sicily, and Salvatore, played by Salvatore Cascio, an impressionable eight-year-old that finds himself, much like I was, mesmerized by the world of cinema as well as Alfredo's job. Initially reluctant, the old man does end up taking the kid under his wing and teaches him the trade, which he embraces as the film shows Salvatore's path from a young kid to an adult. As amazed as I was by it when I was a kid, this time, it didn't hit as hard, I'm afraid. I mean, the film is still remarkably well done, well acted, and with a beautiful story, and still, I found myself... A bit turned off by its second act. The first act where we follow Salvatore as a little kid is great, but when we follow Salvatore as a teenager, I thought it got a bit tedious. I also realized, as the third act unfolded, that I was watching the director's cut, which tries to bring some closure to the relationship between Salvatore and his long-lost love, but I found that whole subplot to get in the way of the main story. That's probably why it got cut for the theatrical cut. But again, It is still a pretty good film. Noiret is a delight and the performance from Casio as the young Salvatore is charmingly good. The final sequence is also an effective closure to the main character even if I wish I felt a stronger connection to adult Salvatore. Last year I made a list of my favorite foreign films and I put this at the top based on that initial reaction from me years ago. It's a bit bittersweet to come back to it and realize it didn't have the same magic as I remembered but I'm still glad I got back. If you want to check it out cinema paradiso is available for rent on voodoo amazon and apple tv and if you enjoy the recommendation make sure you follow the guys at x radio x1
1: a romantic film
2: for this category i got something from my good friend sylvie and it's enough set from 2013 This film follows Eva, played by Julia Louis-Dreyfus, a middle-aged divorced masseuse that begins a relationship with Albert, played by James Gandolfini, without realizing that he is the ex-husband of her new client and friend, Marianne, played by Catherine Keener. The thing is that since she and Eva have become such good friends, Marianne has already shared some significant quote-unquote inside scoops on her ex-husband Albert, unbeknownst to both, which Eva sees as an opportunity to find out more about his boyfriend and quote-unquote protect herself. But let's see what Sylvie has to say about it.
3: Happy birthday, Carlo. Hope you enjoyed your present. You know, last year I got you something a little serious, so this year I wanted to give you something a little bit on the lighter side, so I chose the romantic comedy Enough Said by Nicole Holofcener. In many ways, it's like your standard rom-com, but what makes it a little bit different is, I think, the way that Nicole Holofcener approaches her characters, and especially her female characters, She just lets them be really honest and real and fully developed humans that make stupid mistakes and that have somewhat uncomfortable opinions sometimes. It's just really refreshing and makes you think that you're watching a film made for adults.
2: And that's precisely one of the things I like most about the film. Hall of Center does a great job of presenting both perspectives on her script, but like Sylvie said, especially Eva, whose point of view is what we mostly follow, which also puts us in the same awkward situation as her. But as good of a script this is, the strength lies on the performances from Dreyfus and Gandolfini. Their relationship and interactions feel so real and honest that you can help but root for them. Even though I've never seen The Sopranos, I know, I know, or Bibb, Again, I know, I know. I've always been a fan of Gandolfini, who brings a very laid-back and unassuming presence to his character. This is made sadder by the fact that Gandolfini died shortly before release, which makes the whole film feel more bittersweet. Meanwhile, Dreyfus succeeds in transmitting that combination of strength and vulnerability with a bit of awkwardness that's so endearing. The cast is rounded out by Keener, who is very good at giving some depth to a character that could have easily been antagonistic, so again, like Sylvie said, Hall of Center approaching her female characters with real care. My main complaint is that the relationship between Eva and her daughter Ellen feels underserved, and the subplot with Ellen's friend serving as a surrogate daughter to Eva felt a bit forced, but it's a small blip in an otherwise delightful watch. This is the kind of film that Hollywood desperately needs to make more often. My friend Justin at Kundalini Hand 73 said, a lovely little movie. So if you want to check this out, and I've said, it's streaming free on DirecTV, but it's also available for rent on Apple TV, Voodoo, and other streaming platforms. And if you like Sylvie's recommendation, you can follow her at Sly underscore and also check out her website, slywit.wordpress.com, where she shares her random musings on all things cultural. You won't regret it.
1: A film set in school.
2: I had this category because of back to school in August, and for it, I got something from my friend Tim Doggerty. And it's Picnic at Hanging Rock from 1975. Tim actually said at first, Picnic at Hanging Rock would satisfy. Starts with letter P, romantic film since it takes place on Valentine's Day, set in school, and contains the word rock. It's a four for one deal. So I appreciate that kind of super hat trick. Anyway, Picnic at Hanging Rock follows a group of students from Appleyard College, a girls' private school, as they enjoy a, well, Picnic at Hanging Rock, a rocky geological formation in Australia. When some of the schoolgirls and a teacher disappear, those that remain have to deal with the aftermath. My friend Darren Lumberg said, My favorite weir, a haunting visual poem. This is one of Peter Weir's first films, but you couldn't tell that by watching it because he directs it like a consummate veteran. He gives the film a certain mystifying feel to it, an ever-present ethereal vibe that hangs above every scene and every interaction, making it feel both dreamy and unsettling. When the girls arrive at Hanging Rock, it is as if they were being quietly washed by it, as if the rock was another character, a millennial rock formation clashing with the youth and fragility of these girls all propped up in their own facades of decency. But under that facade, there is repression, guilt, hidden desires, unconformity, all bubbling on their surface like a volcano about to erupt. Not only in the girls, but in the adults meant to supervise them, those that are enforcing the repression themselves. Everybody is trapped, which might make the fate of the disappearing girls like a blessing to them and a curse to those that remain. But let's hear what Tim had to say about this.
0: Beyond the evocative scenery and poetic rhythms of Haining Rock, the grim soul of the story is the lack of resolution. You can't wrap it up like a birthday present for Carlo and put a bow on it. There can be no answers. It's about those left behind in the wake of the girl's absence and the horror of not knowing. I don't think it's an easy movie to watch, but it is vital. I have the Criterion Disc and only watch it about once a decade now. It needs breathing room. It's a cinematic palate cleanser. You can now return to your 3 x structures and conclusions. Hope you had a great birthday, O oh master of the loot.
2: Ha! Joke's on you, Tim, because I already unwrapped it. You can hear the paper. No, but what Tim said is one of the more mystifying aspects of the film, because, spoiler alert, there is no resolution. I read somewhere that Weir went to great lengths to make the film's mystery unsolvable, which is a bold choice for a relative newcomer. But the truth is that I wouldn't have it any other way. Like Tim said, this is a cinematic palate cleanser that deserves all your attention and some room to breathe. If you want to check it out, Picnic at Hanging Rock is streaming free on HBO Max and the Criterion channel. And if you enjoyed Tim's recommendation, you can follow him at team underscore where you can see his work as a landscape architect, photographer, drone pilot, and much more.
1: A film with a senior cast.
2: This is the last from my birthday gifts. I chose this category because National Senior Citizens Day was on August 21, so I wanted to see a film with senior citizens. And for this, I got something from my wife. And it was... Amour! This film follows George, played by Jean-Louis Trintignant, and Anne, played by Emmanuel Riva, an old retired couple living alone in France. Their lives go on in a fairly normal way as they enjoy breakfasts and lunches together and attend musical concerts from former students. But things take a turn for the worse when Anne suffers a stroke that progressively deteriorates her health while George has to take care of her. This is a film I had been dreading to watch ever since its release. As a matter of fact, I actively avoided it because I've always been very sensible to depictions of the pains and suffering of the elderly, especially since my grandmother passed away around 10 years ago, something that still hurts to this day. So when I opened the floor for recommendations about films with senior characters, my wife wrote it up and said, it is time. The thing is that, as much as I was dreading the angle of the elderly from the perspective of a grandchild whose grandmother died, the film got to me in more ways than one. Sure, memories of me and my mother taking care of my grandmother came up, but I was also reminded of my own mother, who is not that young anymore. And finally, I thought of me and my wife, and how would things be if that was our situation in the future. As a matter of fact, we just celebrated our 16th anniversary this month. But in those three angles, the constant is the title of the film amor, love, amor, and the many ways that love can manifest itself in a relationship. From the many times I had to feed my grandmother in her last years, help her to her wheelchair, to the daily conversations I try to have with my mom, and the strength I've seen and admire in her, and in the ways she raised us, to the deep connection I feel with my wife that has taken us through thick and thin in sixteen years. Love is not the romanticized puppy love we see in rom-coms. In this case, love is the sharp pain of seeing that special person suffer and wither away in front of you, which is what George's and Anne are. Going Going through. A big reason why the film succeeds is the excellent performances from Trintignant, but especially Riva. The way they both convey the intimacy and closeness between their characters, even while he's moving her from a wheelchair or feeding her dinner or giving her a bath, it's powerful and moving. To see the regression in that person you love, from a nightdress to a diaper, from a wine glass to a sippy cup, from meaningful conversations to just unintelligible babbling, it is all the ultimate test of what is really to love someone, for better, worse, richer, poorer, in sickness and in health. Even though we might question the final actions and what's really behind them, we can make an argument that what happens is a manifestation of love. And I think that's the conversation that director and writer Michael Haneke wants us to have. My friend Sylvie said, I adore Amour," And my friend Ashley said, I can't wait to hear what you have to say about Amour. That film is unearthly good. Yes, it was. So thanks to my wife for bringing it up. And thank you, my love, for 16 years of being with me of tolerating me and bearing everything I have to do and supporting everything I do. If you want to check it out, more is available for rent on Apple TV, Voodoo, and many streaming platforms. Moving on. Uh, Those were not the only films I saw. I spent my birthday weekend with my family and my kids, and we watched a lot of films, so we actually saw Luck, Lightyear, and Jurassic World Dominion. Luck was charming, I guess, but the story is a bit of a mess. Some of the logistics of its setting don't make sense, but the characters were fun and certain aspects of the story moved me personally. Lightyear was okay, I guess, even though the whole premise behind its conception and production seems too convoluted, and to me, it doesn't feel like the film that Andy would have watched before Toy Story. It actually feels like what it is, a film made for people that grew up watching Toy Story and not for actual kids. But the animation is great and the characters are enjoyable, I guess. As for Jurassic World Dominion, my friend Darren Lomberg said, I'm still pissed about Jurassic World Dominion. And yeah, the the film is a mess. There's too much going on, and few of it has to do with actual dinosaurs. There are crop-eating locusts, human clones, international espionage. It's too much. And even though it was nice to see the originals come back, they were pretty much wasted in tankless soup plots. But online, it is dumb fun at times, but it is still a mess that goes on for too long. That birthday weekend, I also ended up seeing Prey, the new entry in the Predator franchise, and I thought it was surprisingly good. I thought it was a refreshing approach to the franchise with some great performances, and I really enjoyed it a lot. I also rewatched the excellent Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines in preparation to my guest appearance on my friend Sean's podcast, Review It Yourself, where I was set to defend Terminator 3 from slander. The guys at in Film With Trust Podcast said Terminator 2 is one of our favorite films. We're curious of your thoughts on if T three was an honorable failure, if you think it is a failure at all, or if it completely solid a solid two film run for Terminator. So what I said to them or to anyone else, if you want to know my thoughts on it, check that episode or Review It Yourself. Sean does a great job and he's a great guy to chat with. Finally, I also rewatched a couple of Hitchcock films as I was preparing for my conversation with Tony Lee. I rewatched Foreign Correspondent and Shadow of a Doubt. So if you want to know my thoughts about those, check out our episode 67, The Hitchcock Loot, because I talk about both a bit. So that was my August Loot. I want to thank everybody who speaks I got to. That would be Scotty, Darren Lucas, Andres from the Latin Jukebox, Ian from Best Film Ever, Caroline from Defining Disney, Brian Clarkson, X Radio X, Sylvie, Tim Dougherty, and my lovely wife but also thanks to all of those that took the time to recommend something, even if I didn't get to them. Some great friends that also broke gifts, i.e. recommendations, were my friend Josh G from your next favorite movie, Loser, the Movie Loot super guest Tyler Jones, I will get to A Diagram Pole Fighter one day, I swear, Michael Wigdor, Russell Osborne, my man Frank Mendoza, host of Silver Screeners, Pete from the Middle Class Film Class, another great podcast, and the movie Spot to all thank you if you haven't seen any of the films in this loot check them out and let us know what you think other than the freebies i talked in the end which were not recommended by anybody there wasn't anything bad really everything was pretty good so let us know you can always find me at tcgt and the podcast at tml2021 so if you have any recommendations or you want to join the loot and watch along with us just let us know Remember, you can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and most of the main podcast platforms, so you can stay up to date with when the loot is coming. Feel free to share the link for the podcast so more people can join us in the loot, and if any of these platforms gives you a chance to rate or review, please do so. Finally, if you want to support the podcast, drop by our coffee page and buy us a coffee. We will be eternally grateful. So, that would be all for this birthday loot, and to quote the great thespian John Malkovich in that magnificent masterpiece that is read, which I included in the opening, Old Man My Ass. See ya!